Hello and welcome to this episode of This Spiritual Fix, episode 18, season 4. Today we are going to be starting the first of three episodes on trauma. What it is, how it gets there, and what you can do about it. This Spiritual Fix, Two Mystical Mamas Hacking the Self-Help Game, with Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Hi, Anna. Hey. How are you? Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good, thank you. What are we talking about this today? I was going to say this week, but I guess it's today. It is. It is today and it's in the coming weeks. We have put together here a three-part series that is all about trauma, which, you know, we've covered wounds in the past. We've covered all sorts of stuff, but we're really going to be talking about specifically about trauma in this first episode about, you know, what it is, what are the kind of ways that it gets created, and then like what are the kind of different types that are specially characterized. And kind of the first one is for setting our awareness and giving us access to something that we may have trauma that we don't even recognize is there, or it may be something that you're just like, yeah, I can totally relate to that. I have that. I know, and I've had that for quite some time. And then kind of go into the different ways that we react to, to trauma in our life. You've uncovered some really interesting things along those lines, which is pretty exciting. And then going into the kind of different ways that we heal from trauma. Uh, mm -hmm that's kind of what we're covering and it's all a lot of it's coming from what I wanted to talk about in the prelude today which is that so this is I don't know I've, I haven't actually told you about this so this is going to be a total surprise to you what this what is, it? is about <laughs> so for years and years and years I've had dreams about myself being an addict right and right I, you have right? a parallel you I know Para about that yeah parallel parallel me right like I remember one in which my husband and I were addicts and basically our child died because we were high and something bad happened to them. We've, I've had one that I remember really vividly where I was like in a fast food restaurant and my sister came in and basically had an intervention and said that, that I was cut off from the family until I like cleaned up. It was just so interesting because one of the things that my sister jokes about, well, it's actually not really a joke. It's more just like a proud moment of like, the wonder that like after everything that both of us have been through that we were both like relatively functional people in the world is kind of a is kind of amazing right and she's had therapists say that to her and i've so what i what i came to this realization the other night it was so it was like a totally magical night the other night it was luke and i we were sitting outside after the kids had gone to bed and there was some weird electrical phenomenon that was going on at what we would call Wait, Sprite. is this real or No, this is real now. I'm totally okay. real. This is reality. We were sitting outside on the back patio and these flashes that weren't lightning were basically happening like in our like very close. Like it wasn't like far off distant and it wasn't like actually streak lightning. It was just these what we what you would call like a sprite, which is basically just like a ball of lightning that just like appears and they were just like appearing in the air, even though there was like very few clouds in the sky. And it was just this really crazy electrical phenomenon that was going on while we were having this discussion. So just to like set the environment that we were having when we were having this conversation. And I started to realize that, you know, I feel so privileged at this point to sit in a dimension in which my addiction is not to an illicit drug that, you know, but it's actually more to escapism through like books, movies, TV, and like other stories along those lines, right? Because for me, my coping mechanism to the trauma that I've experienced is escapism, right? Like that's kind of my go-to. And I'm like, man, I feel so very lucky that like, I'm really terrible at drinking and I'm super sensitive to drugs. So I usually stay away from them for the most part and things like that. 
And it really gave me a sense of what I was talking about. For the most part, what does that mean? Like ketamine? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I think ketamine, I I always, when I did my ketamine stuff, I always kept a really low dosage of it, but I kind of just wanted to, you know, when we were having this conversation, I started to recognize that like, when you're kind of in a place where you're reacting to trauma, right, where you're in a coping mechanism, you have almost like a very small subset of places that you can go. And we've talked about the space of variations before. And as you remember us talking about that before? About how the multiverse, you have like X amount of lives. I mean, X amount of versions of you and like the like 80% are very similar to what's going on because you would have picked those choices. And then you have outliers and like even more extreme outliers where like you're president in one life and in another one you're in prison. But, you know, for the most part, the majority of them are somewhere close to how you are and who you are. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And um, so do you think you're an outlier? Well, so no, that's the fascinating thing, right? What I feel like has happened for me is that um, this just so you guys have context, the space of variation is a term a terminology that came from a metaphysicist, but and I'm going to put his name in the show's show notes because I cannot remember it right now, but he uh, transurfing is what he talks about. He basically talks about physics, applying physics to spirituality and manifestation and all these different things. He talks about the space of variation and he calls them sectors, right? That basically you sit inside a sector. And all the things in your sector are very close and very kind of like easy to jump to. But if you want to jump to a different sector in which you're say president, then you're going to have a really hard time doing that unless you're just like super empty, you know, so to speak, you have no attachment to it, but it's the visualization is incredibly strong and you understand how it's going to feel when you get there. And there's like, it's really, really hard to make a shift that that is that big. So to answer your question, what feels like has happened to me recently is that by coming through all this trauma and kind of coming into a place, I've recognized that this, the, the timelines that I've had access to have been really, really limited, right? Like the, the, the timeline in which I stayed at home because I could never become a functional adult. And like, you know, basically I was always in the child position, even as an almost 40 year old woman feels really, really close to this dimension that I'm in right now. And in a lot of ways, the work for me of getting through the trauma, speaking interdimensionally and intertimelinely is to, is now that I'm coming out of that position of like the parent child is to actually go to a completely different sector in which I'm not even anywhere close. Like I'm moving beyond the coping mechanisms from the trauma, right? And that is allow, it's like by moving through this trauma, I actually think I have more ability to move through the different timelines and to go to further away sectors in which maybe I'm not president, but I'm definitely not in any position in which I have to rely or be dependent on um, anybody because I don't have the ambition or don't have anything like that to kind of move forward out of that. Does that make sense? Like basically, yeah. So basically, God, it becomes like a whole spider web of multiverses, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like, like on one, you're really limited to this web. And then if you like pivot and you jump from one strand on the web to another, you now have access to all these different strands that you didn't have access to before. Exactly. And so by doing the shadow work, that's what allows us to jump to other different nodes on that web, right? And without without doing the shadow work, we're like limited to a certain only a couple of different nodes right because the belief structures that you have inside your body are limiting you so that you couldn't even consider any of those other sectors or nodes or whatever you want to call them did i tell you about the time that one of mine talked to me did i tell this story i know i told you you but did did i tell it on the podcast i don't know if you did tell it now we'd love to hear it again it was really interesting but i had like uncovered a huge huge deception slash betrayal. Basically I had discovered something basically made me recognize like I was in a dangerous situation. And had I not discovered this, I would have potentially exposed myself, my family to like horrible, maybe even tragedies, like really bad stuff. Okay. So that being said, I was really upset about this truth that I uncovered. And I was like, really, really distraught about it. It was just like a really, really upsetting information to uncover. Right. And I was in my bathroom and all of a sudden I heard this voice and it was like, Anna, Anna, this is, 
you from the future. This is like a you, a multiverse you. And I like stopped what I was doing. I sat on the bed and I just listened. And me from the future told myself, we want you to know that in other multiverses, other Anna showed, showed me how like all the events that led to me discovering this information were so freaking is like, I had to be in the right place at the right time in the right state of mind on the right day. Like for me to figure, to like uncover this, it was just kind of like one in a million kind of thing. Yeah. And they were like, we want you to know that like, this was actually a huge blessing that you discovered it when you discovered it. And in other versions of you that didn't discover this and are not discovering it, they are potentially going down a path of ruin. And like, you should be really, you know, we're like, they're like, we know you're upset, but you've basically prevented a lot of hardship and pain in your life and your families. And I was like, I was like, what? That is so cool that like my future me talked to me and gave me like a pep talk. Right. Yeah. That was cool. And then the very next night I went back to the bathroom and I told, I was like summoning all the other parts of me that didn't find this information out. And I was like, y'all listen up, listen up to me. Multiverse versions of me that are like in a similar life. I was like, you need to go find this information out. And, you know, I don't know if any are do, I don't know, maybe some listens, maybe some heard, maybe some did it, but it was, I think you can communicate to your multiverse versions of yourself in, in certain time periods. And like, we're going to talk about trauma today. And one of the things I did was a trauma release on like an entity attachment demon thing. And I was, as I did it, I was like, I'm not just doing this for me. I'm doing this for all versions of me in all the multiverse versions of me, like, I hope you all can hear this prayer and we can break free of this trauma stuff, like across the board, like, can all of us do it together? Like all hold hands and do it together because I feel like it's so much more powerful when your parallel versions are also doing the work or getting the benefit, you know? Oh yeah. No, that's, I really love that. And I do wonder what it feels like to have you know what I mean? Like when you were telling your other versions that weren't in the right position to be able to hear it, like some of them weren't going to hear it at all. And then I wonder what it felt like if it felt like, like a, if it came through as like a gut instinct, like those other ones just had a gut instinct that they needed to do something about I that. I think they must've heard my voice. Cause that's how I'd heard it the night before. Right. I had heard it the night before as a voice being like, Anna, stop, listen, it's me. It's you. Like it was a full on conversation right. and it wasn't, so I'm I'm thinking like the majority also heard it as that. That's so interesting. And then there's outliers that wouldn't have heard it because they weren't anywhere near this timeline of ever even knowing that, right. you know, but yeah. the people, but the versions of me that would have known this would be the versions of me that, that were in that had, particular situation that could meet that, right, that, that could would, meet those would have developed their intuition skills enough to everything in my life is a product of my mental state, my mental state has so much to do with my intuition. So the other versions of me probably could hear me. That's really interesting. Do you think that, do you think that it still would have had the same emotional impact if you hadn't, you know what, there's, there, there's something with like, so like, for instance, I like, was really upset. Well, I was upset and I needed guidance. Right. Right. But I, but see, the thing is, is in every situation or not every situation, in most situations, my husband would have been out of town. I would have been brushing my teeth in that bathroom. I've gone like five nights in my life without brushing my teeth. So it's like, I was guaranteed to have been in a bathroom brushing my teeth. And I was like, that's the perfect place and time to talk to me because I would have been there in most multiverses. Right. I guess what I mean is in terms of the receiving. So for instance, like say that I found out that like I was, I'm how about, to... how about a plane was going to like a plane was going to crash into your home and you had the ability to tell your multiverse people to get everyone out of the house. Right. But the, the emotional impact of finding out that a plane was going to hit my home was what prompted me to actually change. Whereas if I just heard it in my intuition, it wouldn't have necessarily come with the emotional impact of that information, which maybe I, which maybe I would have just been like, oh, it's just another intuition and I don't actually need to change. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Like, like maybe, the, uh, you, maybe on the receiving end, you weren't in the emotional place to hear it. Exactly. But hearing my own voice coming from outside of me was so powerful and strong that I yeah. feel like other versions of me that heard that would have stopped what they were doing and listened because it was so 
but but then again maybe i only heard it because i was in like a very receptive state receptive state but you know but 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 that feeling of like hearing your voice from beyond talk to you that's pretty strong that is pretty strong yeah that that's really really interesting but yeah so so speaking of um <laughs> just want to drop in some timeline stuff in there cuz it's a really it's it, i think we're coming into a time right now where it's very the the veil is very thin between the dimensions i can feel it on a regular basis like i can just feel how it feels everything feels very malleable and i think maybe that's because i've moved out of a more static understanding because my trauma was kind of determining my path and my sector for such a long time. And now that I've moved out of it, I can actually feel that it's malleable. Robbie says it's been malleable since 2012, right? That everyone's on their own timeline. And that's when I started to realize like, it's a, it's a pretty amazing thing. And it's really important to move past those belief systems and those structures that are limiting you to a certain sector of the right. space of variations, right? The visual that I'm getting is like, imagine a hand with all the fingers abducted. So like the hand completely open, right? Like making Star Trek V's between every digit. And imagine you have webs connecting each digit to each other. And then in 2012, now imagine bringing those fingers close together, you know? Ooh, I love that. And then, or maybe even making a fist. And that's what this work can do is you, is you bring the timelines closer together so they can overlap. You can jump more. Yeah. Yeah. Even if they, even if they seem to have very different kind of outcomes in them, they're still closer together. They're easy to jump between. So yeah, that's cool. That's very cool. All right, cool. So moving on, what is trauma, Anna? Okay. So I'm going to give a definition of trauma. According to the book, the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk. And I'm paraphrasing this. This is not verbatim from the book. Contrary to popular belief, trauma is extremely common. Things like unpleasant situations can cause daily stress. Repeated stress that can go on for days, weeks, months, or years could be stored in the brain or the body or the mind as trauma. And it can even eventually manifest in the physical body. Trauma isn't necessarily what happens to you, but it's how you respond to a traumatic situation. Something that is traumatic to you may not be traumatic to somebody else by the way, everybody, whether or not something becomes traumatic or not has a great deal to do with who's around you when you experienced it. Were you alone? Were you scared? Were you comforted? Were you supported? Was there ostracization, rejection, other things? The problem with trauma is that when something starts happening to us, it doesn't just stop. It can make changes in your brain. And then once your brain changes, you're constantly in what we talked about in that episode with Jay Fields, mobilization or mobilization. You're either in fight or flight, and it can be hard to stay focused, feel joy, or experience pleasure. Trauma by definition is unbearable and intolerable. So it's usually something that you want to try and act as if didn't happen. And it takes a tremendous amount of energy to keep functioning while carrying the memory of that terror and that trauma. These kind of experiences that are, even when they're over, they can be reactivated at the slightest hint of danger and mobilize disturbed brain circuits and secrete massive amounts of stress hormones to cause this whole cascade of impulse and aggressive action, fight or flight. And the reaction usually feels incomprehensible and overwhelming. You'll feel out of control. People who survive trauma often fear that they have been damaged to the core and they are beyond redemption. So in a nutshell, basically you experience trauma, which is something that is unbearable or intolerable. And again, this is subjective. It might not be the same across the board. And then if that happens repeatedly or it happens strong enough or you didn't get proper support, or basically you didn't clear off that karma, then it can cause changes to your brain structure. And then you can continue to live your life running from, from this memory, running from this pain or reacting to situations that remind you of it basically as a way of like protecting yourself because your body is built and wired to protect you. So it's like, oh, you know, like, here's an example. I was, you know, I was attacked by a man in a purple shirt. Well, every time I see purple shirts, you know, that's, I know it's a silly one, but I'm just trying to give an example. Every yeah. time I see purple shirts, my heart rate accelerates and I get sweaty because part of my body is like, we need to be on guard. We need to be ready to run out the door if a purple shirt man comes by again. Right. Right. So over time, basically those triggers, like the first traumas that happen may not, 
may may create indents and then if it continues to be unsupported and and all the different reactions around that trauma then eventually and eventually that that threshold for what actually triggers a trauma becomes shallower and shallower and shallower right becomes easier and easier and easier so that eventually if it's big enough so if it's trauma with a big t like if it's a traumatic event it may be that the triggers are very shallow like a purple shirt something along those lines and if it's trauma with a little t which is basically just pro it can be prolonged trauma or it could be smaller things that aren't necessarily big traumatic events but that may be that that is an accumulative trauma in which you're basically again that trigger becomes shallower and shallower and shallower in terms of like how easy it is to trigger you into um, a stress response right is that right is that accurate what he's saying say that one more time i'm sorry i didn't really understand what i was saying is that you when you have a big t trauma so a big t trauma is something that's like a traumatic event like a shooting or a you know a particular event a rape a one rape. event right it's 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 an event that is there in your field right it can be relatively easy to get triggered back into a stress response for anything that reminds you of that big t trauma event right because you're just like purple shirt oh man this is like this was a really really bad thing that happened and therefore it's relatively easy to get triggered into it and it can be a smell it can be a sight it can be anything when you experience trauma that isn't necessarily one traumatic event and it's just that it's the smaller stuff it's like the death by a thousand cuts sort of idea which is the little t trauma it may be that it accumulates over time so maybe the first time your parents completely ignored your emotional response and basically said that you were silly or stupid for having that response it doesn't really affect you that much but right over time, I, think you can, yeah. I think you can see it like a bucket Mm -hmm. And you fill that bucket, that bucket of trauma is like, you know, you were attacked at a party. You can fill that bucket to the brim with that one event. And yes. then let's say your parent, your grandmother shames you every time she sees you put on weight or something and you, you add a cup every time she does it. And then if you've got no one supporting you and helping to take the water out, it's going to eventually fill up. That's, that's kind of how I see trauma, right? So, and everyone is designating how much water they're putting in the bucket the deter you know we all determine how much water we're going to put in that bucket based upon how it feels to us and i think having to do with like past life stuff or karma stuff right so you determine how much water basically you're fill letting fill up that bucket and then obviously we got to like take the water out right and i would say that the wounds the primal wounds the mother and the father wound and any of the kind of subsidiary wounds if you want to get into sibling wounds and and what there's so many different wounds that you can say they're all designated different buckets some of the water exists in the mother wound and in the rejection room right we've talked about we go you can go back into that series and kind of talk about how we we relate those two things but you know the wounds are kind of like buckets and if your rejection wound has a lot of water in it then you maybe have a tendency to to kind of always be in that space of of trying to empty what you think is the effective way of emptying the water from that bucket, which is I'm not even going to go to that event because if I don't go to that event, then I won't be rejected. So in your mind, you're like, I'm emptying that bucket because I'm preventing myself from experiencing more rejection when I feel like my bucket is already full and I feel like I'm really sensitive to that. Right. But actually what we start to realize as we do the wounds work is we start to realize that the traditional ways that we think, empties the bucket doesn't actually empty the bucket at all it actually just adds more water to it and it kind mm -hmm. of and it kind of it can kind of make more trauma for other people it can you, you you know you're kind of pouring your bucket you may be pouring your water into somebody else's bucket or somebody <laughs> else's wound right or you're actually you think you're taking water out but actually you're really putting it in right and then one thing i want to talk about when we get to the healing episode is that this bucket, it's just not really just one bucket. I like to see it in terms of four buckets. You have emotional, physical, spiritual, and mental, like, like whatever practice you're doing, it would seem so important to tackle this on all levels because you have different, there are different body, there are different parts of you. There are different bodies of you, planes of you. Anyways, we'll get to that later, but just yeah. keep in mind, it's not actually one bucket. It, I think it, I like to see it as four yeah i think i think that it's four and there's probably many ones in it and it's kind of a it's a very interesting and complex thing one of the things that i was channeling when i was looking putting together this episode as i wanted to talk to you about is that you know in the second season we talk about the drama triangle 
And in a lot of ways, when we go into stress responses, right, which is again, stress responses are fight, flight, fawn and freeze, right? Like when you go into that stress response because you've been triggered by a past trauma or you're in the middle of a trauma, like a new trauma, so to speak, um, you know, a lot of the time you are falling into one of those three roles. You're falling into the victim, the rescuer, or the person or, or the abuser, right? Um, most of the time, obviously, we think of triggering as feeling like we're in the in the victim space, right? So where it's very much of like a victim consciousness. But at the same time, when you're triggered, you may become the abuser. Ultimately, the experience of trauma is the experience of being the victim. Would you say that that's true? If I said that, Anna, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like in the sense of yeah. like, I was gonna say ultimately, like at the bottom of it all, trauma is basically saying that you are a victim. Mm -hmm. And it's the experience of being the victim, right? So when something happens to you and you're like, oh, this is terrible. And then you're not supported in it. Then you're not supported to not become the victim, right? Because it's a, it's a, it's a thing and we yeah. kind of vilify become like, oh, you have a victim consciousness, you know, like in a lot of these cases, especially in the big T, you know, you are experiencing trauma as the victim, right? It's interesting because now that I'm saying this, I have I have all these images coming channeling into my head of like the trauma associated with like having to say you had to kill somebody in a, in a time of war. Like you are the abuser in that case, right? But you're also the victim of the bigger circumstance, right? So the war has put you in a position where you're then forced to take somebody else's life. So effectively, you're always the traumatic experiences from having your control taken away from having your autonomy and your sovereignty taken away, even if you are in that moment, the abuser, right, or the persecutor or the one who's actually pulling the trigger. So ultimately, so much of trauma, even when you can break it down into these different circumstances is still like the victim. Right, because drama is by definition something that's intolerable or unpleasant. And that all comes down to non-acceptance, right? It's about resistance. And exactly. So we're going to kind of go quickly into some different types of trauma that we have. I there's a bigger category of what Anna was saying, which is the physical, emotional, mental and spiritual. Those are kind of what you would call the big buckets, right? And you were you were explaining those earlier. Obviously, we'll go into that more in the third episode. And Anna's going to talk about that in terms of what she's been learning. But as you guys can say, these are really big buckets, right? They're big buckets that are like, okay, we kind of understand that. Anna, do you want to talk a little bit about internal versus external trauma and kind of what, you know, what are, what are, we're experiencing in terms of like where that stimulus is coming from? Right. Well, this is, this one, I had a huge aha moment in a Vipassana course when Goinkaji, the teacher says, you might be, you know, after meditating for the first time in your life for hours at a time at a day, you, everyone must start replaying like horrible things that happened to them. Because when he tells this story in the lecture, everyone starts laughing. So it's like, okay, everyone else is experiencing it too, which is that you might ruminate on something horrible. Someone once said to you, like someone might've called you a horrible name once. And they told you that once and they had the intention to stab you once with it, right? But then we go on and we replay it over and over and over in our minds for the rest of our life. And in essence, we stab ourselves a hundred times, right? Yeah. And that was a huge wake up call to me because I thought about all the events that happened to me, like the, we'll say the big T's or maybe even the little T's. I don't know, but I started to think about the different things that had happened to me that I continued to carry with me and replay in my mind. And every time I replayed them, I would cringe again at that really embarrassing thing I did, or, you know, I would be sad that this person did this or did that. And I was in essence, stabbing myself a hundred times when that person, you know, only betrayed me once, only insulted me once, only rejected me once. I continued to replay it over and over and over in my head. In essence, that is the internal trauma that I'm kind of talking about when I, I didn't know if that's what you meant, Christina, but that's what I kind of meant. It's like externally events may or may not happen. And then internally we replay them over and over mm -hmm. and over again in our minds. Not just that, but the brain might map neural highways and different hormone cascades and stress response cascades. So you might physically keep replaying this stuff over and over and over again. So 
I just wanted to recognize that, you know, you have the external events which happen to you that are beyond your control that people have done to you. And then you have your internal world where you might be tra traumatizing yourself over and over and over again every day. That's exactly kind of what I mean. We, we talk about it in terms of the internal, the self-abuse that happens with the inner drama triangle, right? The inner drama triangle is a perfect example of that in which you're basically perpetuating the internalization of things that have happened on the outside. And, you know, it's it, the kids do it all the time. Like if a, if a parent is, if a parent is like, I will lose my crap if you continue to, you know, draw on the wall, right? Or that's something that's pretty obvious that the parent might not be happy about. But, you know, like, uh, I will do this, right? And so the parent keeps saying that and keeps saying that and keeps saying that. And so then eventually the kid internalizes and is like, I can't do this or else this person will lose their crap, right? So even if the parent has moved on from losing their crap, you know, like losing losing their temper when something like that happens, the kid has internalized it and is perpetuating it and then we'll probably build on that, right? We'll probably build on it. I'll be like, oh, I'm in danger if I do something bad. So I have to stay in line, right? Like they, they can, they can start to perpetuate the internalization of whatever that, um, that thing that they said that scared them, or that made it so that they needed to, to be controlled in one way or another. So that is kind of those are a couple of really big categories. We're also going to get into kind of what psychology considers different types of trauma as well. So the, the reason we want to go into these is that we want to give you guys examples of where you may or may not recognize that trauma with a big T is probably maybe obvious to you. It may have been that you've repressed it or you can't remember it, but the little T traumas, the, the little things that happen, the, you know, the, the people saying something or, or something along those lines is really important to acknowledge as well. So some right. of the things in this list are big oh. T, some are small T. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, I hear it so often from so many different friends being like, you know, I don't know why I have this wound or I don't know why I married this asshole or I don't know why I can't get out of this relationship. I had a, the, you'll hear this, the perfect parents, the perfect childhood. It's, these are the people who have no big T trauma. Like they can't, they don't have the narrative or the story to be like, you know, well, I was in a car accident at age five. It's like, they're talking about the big T trauma. So if you or someone you know is that person that you're wounded or you have behaviors that you don't understand or you get triggered and you have absolutely no understanding of where that's coming from, most likely it was a small T, not a big T. Right. And it may have accumulated over time. It may have just been something that was said in one way or another in which you weren't allowed to fully express yourself. Right. It can be, it can be all sorts of things. So first on the list is. It could be a thousand tablespoons in the bucket, right? Exactly. That's exactly. it. That's exactly it. Right. So bullying is the first on this list. Um, did you ever experience bullying, Anna? Um, actually, um, I was a bully. Awesome. Can you explain? I mean, not awesome that you were a bully, <laughs> but it's a really interesting perspective. So yeah. Um, well, what do you want to know about it? I mean, I wasn't a bully like in high school, you know, when I say I was a bully, I don't know if I truly was a bully. It was, just, was just a really a strong kid. statement. It was a really strong statement that you believe it. So whether or not it's true, I feel like it's some a belief system that you're holding on to, which is okay. why I wanted to like explore it. Okay. This is really bad. Should I just say it? Yeah. Oh God. Well, this is really, this is really fucked up. Well, this was in elementary school, keep in mind. So maybe I wasn't really a bully because I didn't do anything bullying in high school or middle school. Or you got so traumatized by the experience of doing this and the feeling that you have right now that you carried that through and it kind of, quote unquote, kept you in line for the rest of time. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if I would say I was, well, okay. So I, I could say that I was an inflict, I was a bully. I inflicted, um, you know, or, and this is just what I remember. I don't know if this is necessarily bullying, but like there were boys on the playground who, you know, could be mean or say mean things. So then when I saw them playing ball, I would grab their ball and then I would run and throw it over the fence so that they couldn't play anymore. I remember one time this boy called me a name and I picked up a stone and I threw it at his face and I almost blinded his eye. You, somebody said something terrible to you maybe, or they said something really mean to them and you wanted them to stop and you lacked the ability to figure out a way to make them stop. So your reaction is, seems disproportionate, right? Because you pick up a rock and you throw it at someone, right? Because 
you know, either you're not given the tool or it's not effective, right? Because maybe the boy wasn't actually taught that he needed to stop. Maybe it was like, maybe his, in his family and his culture, it was like, yeah, go ahead, keep doing it. Like, you don't need to do anything wrong. Like, you know, it, it's self-defense in some ways, but nobody sees the infliction of an emotional, of an emotional bullying to be worthy of a physical response. Right, but that's not necessarily true. So there's so much in our culture in which we are quote unquote victims of the culture that supports all of these isms, right? That supports basically all of these power plays that happen and all these control dramas and all these different things. That's what our, that's what our, our culture teaches us. So it's almost like a cultural trauma that allows these things to happen. And you are then left to internalize that trauma you know, as saying that I'm the perpetrator, I'm the abuser, look at these terrible things that I did, right? But actually, isn't that just a product of the environment that you're in? Yeah, Do maybe. You and maybe it was no different than what every other child was doing. Like, I think that kids, you know, they say kids can be cruel. Like, I think kids argue and do this and that. But in my mind, I gave myself this narrative identity that like, I was the bully, because I remember, you know, grabbing their ball and throwing it over the fence, you know, hundreds of times, <laughs> because I was pissed at them. Right, because you're pissed at them, right? And then again, that comes into like the feminine rage if we want to come into it. It's probably you weren't like channeling feminine rage necessarily at that point, but you know, they were doing something and they weren't going to be disciplined. And so then you had to do something about it, right? Maybe, so, but, or maybe I just was, maybe I just did it because I thought it was funny. I don't remember. I just remember yeah. throwing the ball over the fence. When we look at trauma, to recognize that the drama triangle is where we want to go. We want to say, I am the victim, or I was the abuser, or I was the rescuer. And you want to stick to that position in it as justification for feeling unsupported, feeling an emotional response that was really big that maybe you couldn't handle. But ultimately, the drama triangle, there's no solace in the tr drama triangle with this, y'all, right? Like blaming, I mean, we talk, it's not talking, it's the same as saying blaming, like, I'm going to blame you, and I'm going to say that you did this and you did that. I think that there's ultimately what we need to come out of this is the, is the fact that we have wounds, we have accumulation of wounds, and those wounds can come from anything. It could be because we created, we, you know, again, like we, we thought we were emptying our bucket, but we were actually just adding to our bucket. And then we were adding to other people's bucket, right? Because we were trying to protect ourselves or something along those lines. I think ultimately what this comes out to is like recognizing that you have shadow and that shadow, that trauma needs to be processed and necessarily pointing fingers is not really where we're trying to go with this i don't know is that is that too is that yeah. too dramatic to say that no no i don't think so all right cool so we're going to kind of quickly go down the rest of this list community violence is something like being in a school shooting situation right yeah yeah or Which a riot a, or a riot it's a big t it's a big t trauma Group trauma is not actually technically the word for this. I was looking for the right word and I couldn't find it, but it's basically some form of discrimination or prejudice that is being, or, or ignorance that's being, you know, enacted on you because you are a certain way, because of the color of your skin, because of your, you know, your gender, because, you know, because you're, you're uh, LGBTQ plus, because, you know, um, you're because, you're because you're neurodivergent. Yeah or because people don't know that you're neurodivergent, right? Which is one of the big ones that I've been seeing, right? Is that you you have trauma from being invalidated for your identity or being discriminated against because of your identity. Right, so it's almost like identity trauma in some ways or like, or sovereign, you know what I mean? Like you have a sovereignty and that sovereignty is, is being completely diminished, ignored or vilified. And that could be a big T or a little T, I feel like. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely little T, but it can have, you know, highlighted big T ex experiences within it. Right. And, and, and that is what leads to complex trauma, right? So to kind of go on from complex, complex trauma is an example of something in which you have big T's, little T's, all those sorts of things throughout time basically make it so that, you know, complex PTSD. So complex post-traumatic stress disorder is a disorder that is as a result of trauma that is very hard to unpick and probably happens over a long period of time um, in which you're able to kind of, it, it kind of was normalized or there's other things that are happening in there that make it so that you can't even necessarily recognize that 
your response and your stress response is getting more sensitive, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so complex trauma is another one of these disasters. Anna, do you want to talk about disasters? One disasters, <laughs> just disasters, big T drama. Um, disasters would just be a big T situation. You got tsunamis, volcanoes, floods, hurricanes. Yeah. You know, dust storms, droughts, all that kind of stuff. Those, um, uh, one of the things I wanted to like mention about that is that if you're an empath or somebody who is a psychic intuitive, I, this is one of the things that I do sometimes, which is really probably maybe oh, strange. I should have said it. COVID is probably a little tea disaster in some ways. Or, or, or a big tea, depending on if you've lost somebody, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. Sorry. Um, so there's a movie called The Impossible. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's a, basically a movie about the, um, the Boxing Day tsunami. Um, and it's a family who are in Phuket, I think. I think they're in Thailand. And um, it's a story. It basically it has like Naomi Watts and Ewan McGregor in it and um, Tom Holland before he was, it was like the first movie he was like feature film he was in, I think. Um, but basically you have uh, a very, very visceral showing of that tsunami and the experience in this family and them trying to get together. And it's an amazing movie. I love it. Um, but I love it because it taps into the collective trauma that sits with that tsunami, which is something for me that has been a place that I've always gone into the collective unconscious into that particular loss and kind of helped process and help move people on. It was like one of the first things I ever did. So for me, when I watch that movie, I'm able to tap into that collective trauma to help process it, which is a really interesting experience. And it may be that you just feel like crying uncontrollably when you see something happen or you see a remnant of something that's happened like those are all possibilities in which you're kind of tapping into a, a collective trauma like a disaster trauma that sits in the collective unconscious so just wanted to kind of drop that in there the next yeah. one on the list is early childhood trauma that could be adoption that could be birth trauma even that could be uh losing a parent very early even before you can remember we have a whole episode about that where you have these you can have trauma and grief for situations you can't even remember um yeah usually this is coming at the hands of a caregiver yeah yeah go ahead chris uh next is intimate partner violence which is very very common again in almost all patriarchal cultures uh in which uh women and people identify as women are um women and transgender people are violated or, or experience violence at the hands of their intimate partner. Yep. Next one is medical trauma and I'll, I'll add subset medical debt <laughs> as a, as a trauma, but medical trauma, you know, like having a pulmonary embolism, having a panic attack and, 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 and not knowing what that is. You know, so many people have that and they don't even know they think they're dying getting in a car accident. I guess that would be medical and slash disaster but you know you have medical trauma you your your body something happens to your body you have a spinal cord injury you have a head injury you break a leg you get a diagnosis i mean all these things can cause trauma okay i would it, say big t unless it was a chronic condition then it's probably a little t so would this also include like being invalidated by the medical system like how many stories have i would you heard? See, yeah, yeah that would be a little t you know like w women and specifically black women are historically ignored among healthcare professionals there's like so much research to say that you know a woman going in complaining about this and that won't get the test she needs especially with black women they will not get the test they need and that for anyone listening if you do identify as a woman or a minority group that healthcare professionals don't take seriously when they deny you a test or they tell you they tell you just to that it's no big deal you say i want you to write that in my medical chart that you denied this mri that i've requested like just say i want you to put in my medical chart that i requested this test and you've denied it because medical malpractice will scare them into giving you the test fyi right and a lot of times it, it comes across as i'm trying to save you money because this is a very expensive thing i've experienced that so many different times and i'm just like i had to do my own research i want to do this thing and they're like ah but it's a really expensive test so you might not want to do that right and that's that's you know but you that's talk about the whole your the whole time when like you wanted to get 
your tubes tied and they like talked you out of it because you're a white woman. And then my friend who's a Dominican black woman wanted to get her tubes tied and they, and she only has one child, by the way, not two like you. And they didn't ask, you know, they wanted you to talk to your husband and they wanted you to really think it over. And they told you it was painful. And my friend, same situation, but black walks in one less child even. Right. So she should quote unquote, have more kids. And she told them, they're like, that's a great idea. I can't even go into how racist healthcare is. Let's keep going. Okay. Uh, physical abuse is relatively self-explanatory, but it also can come from, I mean, this is again, where you get the self versus other two, because you can experience physical abuse from somebody else. And then you can also experience it as self-harm as well, which can be a form of self-abuse. Did then you, you have refugee yeah. trauma? I would also say immigrant xenophobic trauma. You got yeah. that going on. Yep. Um, sexual abuse sex trafficking, those are both very big categories and something that in which most people will have experienced. And obviously with sexual abuse, there are a number of, there's a whole spectrum of what this means. For some people, it could just be a single touch. And that single touch was enough to embed in them, you know, some some form of distrust of, of adults, of, of anything like this. Again, this is like, how are you receiving the external stimulus in your body? And how, what narratives have you created around this? Um, because it could just be that it's not that necessarily like from an outside perspective when you're telling the story, it doesn't feel like it's that big. But for you as a five-year-old or a six-year-old experiencing this, you know, it's such a departure from where you are that the difference between what you expect and the kind of trust that you've built up in the world and the departure from that can be um like can can basically determine or can be an indication of how big that trauma can be for you right. even if it feels like it's a little tea it might be a bucket full to you or a cup full for you and it might be a teaspoon for someone else or even better yet the abuser is going to tell you oh that was just a teaspoon exactly. or 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 people who support the abuser so just know that like if you're experiencing any of these abuses and you feel like it was a cup or a bucket full or whatever, don't let anyone, especially your abuser, try to convince you that it was just a teaspoon. That fucking pisses me off. Yeah. Or who's somebody who's an enabler who doesn't, who isn't in a position of power to be able to actually stand up to an, a potential abuser. I kind of threw sex trafficking in there, but sex trafficking is very interesting in the sense that it isn't necessarily being moved from one position to another. It's not necessarily the most extreme cases. Um, a lot of the times it can be an intimate partner who basically um, asks you to perform sexual favors in exchange for services, um, anything along those lines, which is obviously like kind of a form of prostitution, but it can happen in all sorts of, there's a whole range of where this can happen. Um, and if you think that you even come close to this, it's really important that you research it and recognize that you may have been in a sex trafficking position and kind of get the resources and help that you need for that. Um, for that big T trauma. Terrorism and violence, um, same thing, very, very similar to kind of disaster, but obviously human created disaster. Um, traumatic grief, uh, which is an experience of having a massive loss in your life and then having that loss in your life. Even if you have all the support systems, the loss in your life may be enough to create that kind of traumatic. And then the last one that I want to just mention is generational trauma, which is trauma that you don't even directly experience, but gets passed down to you um, through your DNA, through your epigen, you know, your through your what we would use to call junk DNA, you know, all of these different things can get pulled down through um your generational connections with anybody else or through your past life so past life trauma is obviously a really thing that we talk about a lot here so past life and generational trauma are kind of along the same lines in which you're pulling it in from either a parent or from your previous incarnations on earth so next we're going to talk about a couple of just like really early signs that you have unhealed trauma um, Anna, for you, when you were kind of going into this journey, what was like your main kind of flag that was like, oh my gosh, I have to deal with this. Like what, what for you at this point, if you like know that you're kind of doing your shadow work and you know that you're holding it, you're going into some sort of trauma. Like what are the signs that you look for to be like, oh, there's something here. Uh, having a $1 response to a 10 cent problem. Love that uh, it's term. like, but yeah. basically just like 
something was a 10 cent 10 cent issue and i turned it into a one dollar issue so basically like exaggerated responses to things that triggered me basically yep what i want to mention is being an empath sometimes we are empaths because it's in our design it's in our astrology it's in our chart like we can we can just we have a sensitivity to other people around us um, but a lot of the time, if you're an empath and you become hyper tuned, hyper in tune with other people's emotions, it's because you are on alert and you're trying to read the room continually. Emotionally, you're trying to read the room. Um, you could also be doing it what I would call kind of other forms of empath, which is maybe you physically feel ill in your body or maybe you, you you're like depending on when you're with somebody you can actually feel it as like a physical response in your body that's not necessarily an emotion but it actually feels more like an illness that's another version of kind of quote-unquote empath um it's, it's more of like a physical empath that can be an indication that you are hyper tuned to the environment around you and you're trying to figure out like how you can alleviate the stress of the people in the room so that you are protected um, and then it may also come in the form of thoughts. Like it may be that you, you're a mind reader, right? Like it may, like that, that's kind of what we would call more of a mental empath, right? Which in which you're kind of trying to constantly read people's micro expressions. You're, tra- you're constantly trying to figure out what's going on inside their head because you want to know where the danger is, right? So you're always on alert. And that's a, that's a really good indication that you're harboring a lot of trauma and that you are constantly trying to guard all your parts are trying to guard. IFS, again, internal family systems, all your parts are trying to guard for signs that there is trauma here. Mm-hmm. Exaggerated stress response. I would say before I did Vipassana, I used to have panic attacks, panic attacks, like in a grocery store, just like anywhere. Panic attack is a hallmark feature of unhealed trauma. What about migraines? Mm, maybe, maybe. I mean, I feel like that's, there's a lot of reasons for migraines. It could be hormonal imbalance. It could be all sorts of stuff. So maybe that's too big. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, cognitive dissonance. For those of you who aren't familiar with that term, cognitive dissonance is when you basically keep two different opposing truths inside of you and it doesn't feel right. You can't figure it out. Like something doesn't sit right. It's not settling inside your mind. And so when you're experiencing this cognitive dissonance, it could be because somebody has presented a new idea to you, right? That's, hey, guess what? You were probably abused and you're like, that doesn't fit right in me right now. I don't think I was abused or no, I can think of a different, I can, I can think of a million different reasons why that's not the case. Um, mm-hmm. And you spend a lot of time in this kind of just uncomfortable place in which you're trying to kind of integrate somebody else's statement and you can't leave it alone. I have a really interesting one on that. I think it's called gray rape, where it'd be like in a situation where due to the situation or the environment or the circumstance, you feel like you're coerced into having sex with someone, but there is never like a true act of, it's not like date rape and it's not a true act of like them ever pressuring you and you ever saying no, but you're in a situation where like you know that if you were to say no or resist, there would end up being trouble. So you just act like it's okay because your cognitive dissonance is like, well, I don't want to see this person as dangerous or I don't want to identify as a rape victim or I don't want to have to struggle. So I'm just going to pretend like I'm okay with this really sketchy situation. You see what I'm saying? I do. I do. Uh, So, you know, that's, that's an example of like cognitive dissonance and then like creating trauma, which would have probably been a big T, but now it's become the small T. Right, right, which is really interesting too, because you know, I've in a couple of situations I've been in similar situations to that, like after the fact, like sometimes it's an emotional thing, right? Like I can't tell you how many times when the Me Too movement was going on, I was like, I don't know if I can say Me Too because I had so little self worth so many times that I didn't put up any resistance, any fight, anything like that. I just didn't really care. But if I had been more present- And you present, justified it to yourself because right. you were just like, I don't want to cause a problem or- Right. And if I was more present in my body, I would have had a stronger opinion about it. And then it probably, it, it, but but maybe if I had had a stronger opinion about it, it never would have become anything. Do you know what I'm saying? So it almost felt like, for me, it almost felt like a self-harm sort of thing because I had so little care to stop it. 
not because I thought I was in danger, but just because I didn't want to like rock the boat because I wanted to be a people pleaser, right? So to speak. Mm -hmm. So does that like, you know, so for me, that was like this really nebulous gray area where it's just like, is this that or not? But isn't this my fault? Like, this is my fault because I'm the one who was like completely not present in my body and like was trying to please. But if I had been in a different situation where I wasn't so traumatized to become a people pleaser, then I probably would have had a really strong feeling about this and it never would have happened. Right. So that's you know that's an example of like how am i unpicking this because i, I want to blame myself for this but you know because the other person didn't know because i didn't even say i didn't say anything you know what i'm trying to say it's a it's a, it's an interesting There's a one. lot of blurred lines there yeah yeah um so overwhelming fears if you have a really strong phobia that could be past life trauma um could be generational trauma a lot of the time some if you don't know of an actual event that's happened in this life for overwhelming fears but that is a good indication that you have some unhealed trauma depression uh which is something that i would say is like when the emotional body isn't allowed to express itself to its full extent it just becomes immobilized so depression is an example of immobilizing the emotional body um to be able to do whatever to be able to let me be more specific, emotionalizing the, uh, the emotional body, which then causes a form of depression, guilt or shame, uh, that is unidentified or is overwhelming. There's a lot of generational guilt. I remember Anna, a couple of years ago, you were dealing with a lot of generational trauma that is associated with guilt, right? Yep. 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 Um, anxiety, anger, irritability. These can be other things as well. These are not necessarily all just trauma. Okay, so uh, to kind of finish up today's episode in which we're kind of bringing awareness to trauma and the different types of trauma, we kind of want to go through where you may feel these things in your bodies. So we're going to go through mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual. Um, so starting with uh, mental, what um, are oftentimes uh, showing up is obviously we mentioned before in the signs of things, it could be a form in, of anxiety or guilt or shame or thoughts that are associated with trauma. These can lead to disorders such as there's are, there are arguments and there are things to be said that possibly ADHD, not necessarily autism, though I have seen a couple of studies around that, um, but I can't actually validate that at this point, but that ADHD may be something that um, is affected or exacerbated by trauma and and kind of your experience of that um ptsd and cptsd so that's post-traumatic stress disorder and complex stress post-traumatic stress disorder rejection sensitive dysphoria and even narcissism y'all there is evidence that says that narcissism is actually exists on a scale of attachment wounds in which you've just gone to the most extreme right which is obviously different than being a sociopath um, which is also can be closely related to and has been confused with autism in the past, right? I, I've heard, I've been reading a lot of books recently about autism, about how people confuse autism and narcissism quite a bit because they just associate the behavior and the lack of social skill or the making it so that, oh, it's all about me. Like, I'm just going to talk about me, but that's a masking technique that autism's, that, that autistic people on the spectrum use is to talk about themselves because they're trying to relate. They are trying to follow standard rules, right? So a lot of the time what comes across as masking in autism is mistaken for narcissism. Um, right. But yeah, um, what other ways does it show up in the mental body? Uh, anxiety disorders, obsessive compulsive disorders, ROCD, which is relationship OCD, which is being obsessed about your relationship. Um, I would say, what do you call it? When you have those thoughts? Uh, intrusive thoughts? Oh yeah. Um, intrusive thoughts is also form in the mental body nightmares. I would say it could be mental or spiritual, maybe even emotional sleep paralysis, night terrors, possibly. I would think sleep paralysis is, we'll get, say that went to spiritual, I think. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But and, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> so basically, yeah, that'd be the mental body. And then I can say physical body, physical Please, body yes. would be like chronic pain, You've got those neural pathways down. So in some ways it would be the hormones you release, right? Like these, these hormonal cascades that trigger you into fight or flight, uh, chronic pain, migraines, jaw tension, shoulder tension, neck tension, constipation, even diarrhea. 
like someone said, you know, constipation is when you're holding on, holding on, holding on. And diarrhea is like when you're trying to let it go too fast. Chronic bowel conditions, they talk so much about the gut is really the heart of the body. So, you know, things like IBS and gut, all these things can be exacerbated or even created, although we probably don't have the science yet to show it by trauma. Right. Uh, next is the emotional body. So the emotional body um, is showing up as uh, primal wounds, codependency, counterdependency, um, mother and attachment wounds. All those things I think are very closely related with the emotional body and can cause you to either have a stunting of any emotional um, experience or an overabundance of it, right? In which you have very exaggerated emotional responses. In our culture today, we say that we have a mental illness, but that I've, I've been reading a lot about this recently is that, you know, the whole idea of turning it into pathologizing these things and turning them into quote unquote mental disorders um, has made it very convenient for physicians to kind of take over what was originally a very holistic approach to the quote unquote insane or people who were having imbalances of any of these sorts of kind, right? Whether they were processing trauma, whether they were doing things like that. Historically, it used to be a very holistic, there was a period in which there was a very holistic approach to how um, non-physicians dealt with this, like drawing people a hot bath and like being there to support them and holding space for them in a kind of very divine feminine approach. But in order to be able to justify physicians coming in and kind of taking over the care of the quote mentally ill, it had to become more right. mental Putting based. the shamans out of business. Exactly. Exactly. It had to become more mental um, and more pathologized and more um, this is, the, you know, we're going to do whole person care, but we're also going to put medication into this. And we're also going to do something because there's something wrong with your brain. And because there's something wrong with just your brain and not like the rest of your body and not that your body is storing that your your mental emotional and physical bodies are storing these things right when i go when i do healings for people when i do like my comprehensive clearings and things like that it's so fascinating to me to figure out where people hold trauma in their body it's very different for every person some people have like this crazy electrical system in their mental body and it's just out of control because they start they've stored their trauma in their mental body more so than anywhere else so it really does depend um, on, on kind of what you're dealing with and like different things. And we, we don't have enough time to cover all of that today. Right. So then and finally I, is spiritually, go ahead. The spiritual body, you can define it as, you know, the spectrums is fear and love disconnection and connection and expansion and contraction. So basically you're going to have contraction, fear, disconnection. I would say depression is almost a spiritual thing. It's like feeling very much disconnected and constricted, right? And then also in that whole spiritual, we could actually say energy body, not spiritual body, but I'll just say spiritual body to keep it simple. You have things like entity attachments, demon attachments, incubus, and sub, how do you say it? Uh, succubus. And, um, and incubus and succubus. So incubus and succubus would be where, you know, you are, you could call it trauma bonding as well, but like basically you are on some level addicted to your abuser or the, or the situation or person who is causing you trauma. We're going to talk all about that later, but yeah. So you also have these other elements of these unseen forces that aren't even typically discussed ever when discussing trauma and anxiety disorders, et cetera, et cetera, is there might be you know, entity attachment stuff going on. Yeah, exactly. And then again, in the whole sphere of spirituality, you have your generational trauma, we could say, I don't know if that would be physical or spiritual, because it's something inherited through the ancestors and also past life trauma. You know, Ainsley McLeod talks about resonances and vibrations that we carry into the from past lives into this life. Yeah. And then those traumas can show up in multiple different ways. I've, I've had past life traumas that have come into my awareness and my, into, into my awareness physically first, right? Because in a lot of ways, the spiritual body and the energy body has to use the either mental, emotional, or physical body to kind of come through into our awareness. And so a lot of the times it may show up in one of those bodies, like it'll show up as a repeating thought, or it'll show up as a feeling of like, that feeling in your gut or that that feeling in your chest that it's like it feels like there's a knot in your chest or it feels like you literally have like massive back pain that's associated with a past life um that comes out through the spiritual body and then it comes through those other bodies so a lot to cover here we've only just gotten started all right cool 
Thanks everyone so much. Um, we are opening this door. We uh, encourage you guys to love yourself and do everything that you can to, if, if we've opened any doors for you and given you access to anything that you have, is to nurture and love yourself through this time period until we finish this series. And so. next week, tune in for trauma bonding. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of This Spiritual Fix. We haven't forgotten about wanting to do the primal wounds. We'll be doing them next season. So please send in your ideas, your learnings, anything that you want to share with us with primal wounds, and we hope that they will be on next season's episodes. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com, for more information. Thanks. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.